This is an AMI podcast. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the things we do and say on commercial breaks? Well, you're about to hear some things you've never heard before on the neutral zone. Be warned, as the saying goes on our show, you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll do it live. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly! This the most scenic, unbelievable, is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. The neutral zone. Oh my goodness. Welcome to it. Another edition of the neutral zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined this week by Brett Wills, Dave Recavina, and Jeff Ryman. Gentlemen, how are we doing? For the most part, pretty good. Uh, still can't get my head around uh, our, uh, uh, how should I say, unofficial mentor of sorts, uh, Bob McCowan, stepping down after, if you, encou- if you count his Blue Jay gigs from the 70s, going back you know, to basically the day one of the Blue Jays, he's been a part of that Rogers fan 590 and going back in the day CJCL 1430 for you know, 40 years, really. And uh, he's going to be missed, although I think he's going to resurface some somewhere else, but it won't be the same uh, the, the afternoon drive home on the Fan 590 anymore. 31 years behind the mic. Of primetime sports. Of primetime sports. Yeah. That is incredible. For me, um, I wanted to take some time and, you know, talk about McCowan because... For those of you that have followed us way back to our Voices for Ability days, Bob McCowan was one of my uh, very first interviews, and he was, you know, a guy who gave me some advice and said, stick with it, things will happen. So for me yesterday, especially watching the close uh, of the show, and for those of you that missed it, he thanked as many people as he could with about two and a half minutes left, and He then said, my butt hurts, I'm out of here, I'm gone. And then he put his glasses down and they zoomed in on it. He stayed seated in his seat and they panned away. And that's how they ended the primetime sports era with Bob McCowan. Brett, how are you doing? I'm just here so I won't get fined. This has become your new new thing. Is this this the new Brett? I don't know, man. I'm just, I've been really, really, really tired lately. So the fact that I have to get up early on a Saturday, I absolutely love coming in here. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that I got to get up early on a Saturday and Sunday's not supposed to really be a sleeping day because it's clean up and get ready for Monday day. You take a whole day to do this? Well, I mean, (laughs) I'm me. You know how slow I am. That's true. You're also talking very slow today, so I know you, you I, could you could sense the 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 tired breath. You know, I, I, I admittedly I'm not feeling great right now, and uh, the events of yesterday afternoon, like, like you and Dave, Dave just alluded to, uh, I, I'm still trying to process that. And it's funny because I was going to come in here and tell you both that I'm finally over my Raptors hangover. Uh huh. And then I woke up this morning feeling like this. Oh, so maybe this is a Raptors slash sports hangover. That's what you're telling me. Well, I mean, 
we we've talked a little bit about how slow the summer may or may not be based on how the teams in the Toronto may or may not do. Yeah. So I mean uh at least it's silly season though. I like when they call it silly season. Well, I I just think that uh it's going to give us an opportunity to talk about things outside the box. Yeah. Which is super exciting in all honesty. You know, you can get into the CFL. There's nothing wrong with oh, that. And, and Dave, I'm I'm an absolutely huge CFL fan. I, I I bleed double blue through and through. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let yeah. me just put that out there. I'm sorry that you bleed double blue. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to be an Argo fan. And that's just not you, Brett. This goes out to everyone in the GTA. It's it, it's okay to watch the Argos. It's okay to go to an Argo game. You know. You will not, at least for me anyway, I can only speak for myself, you will not be considered a social misfit. When, when I was younger, I had a, a teacher that got very close to Mike Pinball Clemens because they were season ticket holders. And there was a number of times in the five or six years that I was at that school that Pinball would come into the school and interact with the students. And uh, so I became a double blue fan. And then... I went off to middle school and I had a vice principal and she ended up teaching Mike Vanderjet. So, oh, yeah. uh-huh. so I mean, like you go from one extreme to the other uh, in terms of schooling and then you, you discover all these people. One extreme to the other in terms of personalities as well. well and, and, and Vanderjet, but that's well, another story. And that, that too. But I, I, I mean, you just, as you go through your, your schooling, you realize, oh, this double blue theme is kind of just ongoing. And it's weird because I grew up in Oakville, so I thought maybe that being on the west end of the GTA, I, I would encounter more Montreal or sorry, Hamilton Tiger Cat fans. Not really. I, I remember years ago thinking the same thing. But no, the Tiger Cat support really starts in Burlington. And what Argo support there really? might be in Oakville, yeah. Uh, or what support there might be in Oakville, and I'm not sure of that. Uh, it would. I would think it would lean towards the Argos. A guy who should be well rested because he was on holidays is Jeff Ryman. He came back from Montreal. Jeff, how are you? I feel the opposite of Brett. I feel nice and refreshed. I don't feel tired. And you know, Montreal was great. And again, another football city. Uh, the Alouettes making a couple of key signings at their quarterback position, bringing back Canadian Brandon Bridge. Uh, but, you know what, for the CFL, for me, I was talking to Andy earlier on the Gazette, and I said that it sort of really crept up on us, and I think I mentioned this last week as well, how my mindset, and I think Brett would agree with this, is that your mindset for the past month or two has been all basketball and, and a little bit of hockey and, and maybe even a tiny bit of baseball at the very beginning when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came up. And now the CFL is already in, what, its second week People have, uh, at least for, in our neck of the woods, have almost forgotten about it. And now that all of this other stuff, you know, the NBA season is done, the NHL season is done, the, both the drafts just concluded. Yeah, uh, Well, I guess the NHL draft concludes later today with rounds two through seven. But once we get over that July 1st hump and all the free agency talk is settled, then I think a lot of people will start to get back into the CFL. And there's going to be lots of stuff to talk about because the CFL is a great sport. So um, 
I look forward to uh, chatting a little CFL with you guys going forward. I think it was hard to get in, or it's hard for me to get into the CFL season because the Argos had a week one bye. That probably is a contributing factor. But from what I understand, and I, I was shocked, uh, apparently they're expecting a full house at Bebo later today for the Argo Tiger Cat game. If you want to call 18,000 the full house down there, but compared to some of the crowds they've had in the last couple of years there, that's not bad. We'll take it. Well, what, is, what is capacity over there? I think the full capacity with the upper deck open is uh, pushing 30,000. Okay. But, uh, they, they, you know, the Argos have closed that off the last couple of years. But, hey, if this keeps up, who knows, maybe they reopen it. Well, we will welcome the 14,000 fans from Hamilton with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that note, we're going to take a break here on the Neutral Zone. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the CFL. We're going to go east and then west and discuss as many teams as we can, get you set for the CFL season, because we have the King Rakavina in studio. So... All that and much, much more coming up on the Neutral Zone right after this. Stay with us. Jeff, I'm so glad I ended with you after talking to Eeyore there for a bit about, oh, I'm so tired. And then I'm like, please, Jeff, can you give me some some life after your trip to Montreal? Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just here so I won't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave, Brett, and Jeff. Brett, I was going to lay back for a second and see if you'd pick up the ball on entering the show with... You had your phone in the air there, so I'm like, maybe I should just lay back and and see if he'll pick up the ball, but I thought better of it. No, I'm not the host with the most right now, so... Fair enough. All right, so the CFL season is started a couple of weeks into it. We're going to take a deep dive into as many teams as we can. Uh, we're going to start in the East. Let's discuss Hamilton. What do we think we're going to get out of Hamilton this year? Good, bad. What are we going to get? I, I, I think they. I think the sky's the limit with the Tiger Cats. First of all, I love the uh, you know installing Orlando Steinauer as head coach. This guy drips with enthusiasm, but yet it's not like the Pollyanna type enthusiasm. This guy is genuinely committed to the game, a student of the game, loves the game, and knows how to manage people as well. And I, I see only good things for the Tiger Cats. They they struggled a little bit last week against Saskatchewan, but I think that was more a matter of you know just ironing out the kinks. And it'll be interesting to see the game later today at BMO Field between the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts. I'd like to say that the Argonauts will be competitive and we'll give them a game, but you never know. But all in all, I think you have to consider Hamilton as the favorite in the East and... A strong Grey Cup uh, possibility as well, I think. Yeah, I watched the game uh, last week with Saskatchewan and Hamilton. And, uh, we were talking about it just briefly in the break, and that was probably as entertaining of a game to start the season as you could get. I mean, obviously... Or, or you think about Saskatchewan and Ottawa last Thursday night. Yeah, uh, 
Yes, sorry, you're right. Yeah, the 44-41 game. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, that was a high-scoring game. Both offenses just uh, playing really well. That That is just a great game to watch. And that's the beauty about the CFL is usually it's high-scoring, and usually the offenses, um, you know, come to be, and, and that's the, the great thing about the CFL. Brett, what are you looking forward to with Hamilton this year? I, I I actually, and it, it pains me to say this, I, I think they are the perennial favorite in the East to make it to the Grey Cup. Um, I, I'm super excited to see what Steinhauer brings to the table. I know that he has some CFL experience as a coach. And uh, I, I think that, uh, like Dave said, sky is the limit for them. It would It'll be interesting to see if uh, the veterans that they brought back and the guys who are in their first year on the t- in the league can gel well enough to p- put them over the top. I think they will. I, uh, to me, the biggest thing, well, go back to last year. I, I thought that team was good enough talent-wise to win the Grey Cup, but they didn't seem to play with a lot of fire or a lot of urgency, or at least not on a consistent basis, and I think that's what undid them. That won't happen with uh, with Steinauer. He can be fiery if need to be. June Jones is a great coach. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like June Jones a lot. But I, I think he might be better suited to being an offensive coordinator as opposed to a head coach. Now, you know, again, it remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, Hamilton certainly looks to have all the ingredients. To piggyback off that, just think about everything that they went through last year as well. They they've come in with a clean slate and yep. the, there's very very few question marks anywhere. Certainly that. a lot less than anyone else in the East. Although Ottawa is uh, really uh, a bit of a surprise coming out of the blocks. Two and zero. They you know won in Calgary, which you know how many times have you seen that in the last fifteen years? And uh, you know I'm putting it to Saskatchewan and you know Dominique Davis was really an unknown commodity. Again, but, uh, you know, and a lot of people thought the bottom would fall out because of uh, Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson, uh, arguably, well, they're, they're clutch receiver, uh, both signing in Edmonton. A lot of people thought the Red Blacks might nosedive, but they've played tough defense, and even though gave up 41 to Saskatchewan Thursday night, came up with big plays when they needed to. Trevor Harris uh, moving to Edmonton, that was uh, that was a big deal in the CFL um, for them this year. And, I mean, they won uh, week one, Edmonton. Um, but it, that that's the biggest thing uh, with the CFL. There's, there's kind of guys, there's those big names, but once they move, it's not like other sports where, you know, there's a bunch of big names. There's like... A handful, and when they move, everyone knows about it, and Harris was one of those names this year. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, um, let's see, let's do Montreal. Is Montreal going to be um, the, a bottom feed in the East, in in your guys' opinion? Prob- Battling with the Argos? Probably, but again, you know, the Alouettes and Argonauts are kind of in the same position, but for different reasons. Uh, Montreal, you know, it's a mess off the field, the league. It's, it was, it's been widely believed that the league has been running that franchise for over the last year, uh, but it was only made formal a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the situation there, the attendance has really plunged, but I 
still believe in Montreal that it's more a matter of if they have a competitive team and a winning team and a team that can play any kind of entertaining football, uh, the fans will come back there. Uh, on the field, we'll see. Uh, Antonio Pipkin at times has shown flashes that he could be the man to lead them out of the wilderness, and then other times he doesn't make the best decisions now. I think that could be a matter of experience. Kahari Jones, uh, the only problem with him, now he is head coach, quarterback's coach, and offensive coordinator, and I also believe assistant general manager. So That's an awful lot of hats to wear. Yeah, this guy, yeah. Uh, you know, they may as well have him. Is mop. he a player too? Like <laughs> He was, and he was a good one. I do remember him, but uh, they may as well have this guy, you know, living in the dressing room, mopping the floors and washing all the dirty towels and socks and jock straps as well. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be that much more of a stretch. My goodness, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of hats. Um is is Montreal one of those towns? Because I mean, okay, we know we know what's happening with Toronto, and in some situations, Toronto is a city where if you put a competitive team, they'll come. Is Montreal one of those cities where it's like we want a team, and if there isn't one, we're not coming? I think that uh, based on what we've seen in the past across the board, baseball, hockey, football, I, I think you you might be right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Expos left, and I mean, I, I think that that was more economical than anything. And Bud Light as well, the commissioner at the time. He, if if he could have, he would have gotten rid of the Blue Jays as well. He was just anti-Canada, more say, more than Gary Bettman. Sorry, did you say Bud Light? Yes, Bud Sealing at the time, and that's who he was referred <laughs> to was Bud Light. Um, <laughs> uh, they have got great fans uh, that uh, sit in the Bell Center. Bell Center? Yeah, well, for hockey, for the for uh, the Canadians, um, they they usually support their their fans uh, or their team, sorry, through and through, whether it's good and bad. And uh, but uh, like we were saying, I, I think that uh, you, you got to put a product, a good product, on the field or on the ice in order for fans in that city to support them. And I, I think what you're seeing in uh, at uh, Molson Stadium. Yeah, Molson McGill or Molson Stadium at yeah. McGill uh, is uh, just a really uh, unorganized and disheveled team. And I, I really like the Canadian Football League, and I, I I think that it only thrives when every single team is on top of their game. I really hope that they end up getting back to the way they were in the nineties. I think they will, you know, given the proper ownership, the proper management, and you know, play on the field. And, you know, if you believe in the theory that everything starts at the top, the Alwood ownership has been uh, invisible, shall we say, with the Wettenhalls. Uh, I think they just, you know, lost interest as time went along. And no one else uh, is surfaced to purchase the team. Apparently there is a group now that's going to take a serious run at purchasing the Alouettes. And, uh, you know, that has Montreal and Quebec ties. The other thing, too, that's interesting and if you want to compare the Alouette and the Argonauts situations fan-wise, uh, Montreal, there is, well, just in the province of Quebec, first of all, but especially in the Montreal area, minor football is very strong. And uh, that goes right up to Université de Montréal, uh, the Caribbean. Um, they're them, Laval, Western, that's your upper crust of Canadian university football. 
and uh, and they draw quite well from what I understand as well, probably better than the Alouettes, although I don't know how much that says. But all in all, uh, minor football in the province of Quebec is far stronger, far better shape than it is here in Ontario, especially in the GTA. I could go on about this for the next hour alone, but uh, I bore you guys. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a different world. Like I say, if they have a competitive product, I think you'll see that situation turn around. Toronto, uh, uh, to me, there just isn't the interest. Today, now, like I say, I was floored to hear that they're expecting, you know, as full a house as they, they can have at Mimo. I hope they're able to keep that up. I really do. But I'm just, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's where I'm getting old and cynical. <laughs> do you think the Argos ownership and the Ticats ownership got together and said, let's do a two-for-one deal and we'll sell season's tickets for the Ticats, and along with that we'll sell season's tickets to the Argos for free? I don't know. <laughs> and I mean that's, that sounds ridiculous. I don't and think I, so. And in, I, I'm, I'm saying that in jest. But yeah. I mean – I don't think so because you've got a strong enough season ticket base in Hamilton. You don't need to do any promoting there. I was going to say does Hamilton care that much about No, Toronto? no, 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 no. I, I, I'm just yeah. p- piggybacking off, off the fact that there's going to be 18,000 people supposedly yeah. at the game today. It's just – how long, going back to the Montreal situation, in your opinion, how long do you think uh, before the mess clears and and we actually see competitive Montreal football? Great question. I, I think however long it takes to resolve the ownership situation and if this group does come through, uh, you know, to purchase the team from the league, I'm sure the league would be very anxious to do the deal, but it has to be the right deal with the right people and... Uh, or I, I, I don't know where things are, you know, things stand. I would think that the league has done a lot of its due diligence, but again, uh, I don't know unless you're on, you know, on the extreme inside there at league headquarters, uh, you know, no one's saying a whole lot, but I think once that gets resolved, then I think you'll see things go on the field. But until then you just got to, um, be patient. All right. Let's talk a bit about the West. Um, I guess my first overall question is the West significantly stronger than the East overall? Like, is it going to be a, a West winner in your in your opinion in the end? Or can the East be competitive with the West? I think the East could be competitive. Uh, Hamilton we've talked about. Ottawa certainly, you know, doesn't look like they're going to be any worse off than last year. Uh, Toronto and Montreal remain question marks. No one can really tell yet, uh, you know, as as to how, you know, we could be in a better position to answer that tonight. But the West is certainly much more balanced. I think the gap between top and bottom is nowhere near as large as it, I think, will be in the East. Brett, is the West just that much stronger in your opinion? Uh, I think at the end of the day when we're uh, ready to slide into playoffs, and I know we're only into week two, we will probably see some variation of Calgary, Edmonton, BC within two or three games of each other. It's interesting, especially the game last night between BC and Edmonton, I thought was a shocker because at the outset, Mike Riley looked almost unstoppable there. BC led, I believe, is at one point, I think at the end of the first quarter, 14-3 or 17-3, and Edmonton ended up walloping them and ended up winning 39-23, just totally shut them down over the last three quarters of the game. 
So who knows now, you know, Winnipeg came back, rallied on BC last week. Calgary wasn't, didn't, didn't look sharp against Ottawa last week. Uh, you know, they have a bye this week, I'm sure. They're probably hard on the practice field right now as, 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 as we're talking. But we'll is, uh-huh. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Is that a case of a team going into the offseason last year and saying we need to upgrade on one side of the ball and completely forgetting to upgrade on the other side of the ball? I, I don't think that was the situation. They had some significant losses to free agency and also to the NFL. So one case in mind is a linebacker I've always liked there, Alex Singletary, who apparently has a pretty good chance to crack the lineup of the Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, we'll see uh, We'll see how that plays out. Nonetheless, Calgary still has a lot of quality, and John Huffnagel is certainly, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a very, very, very sharp operator and a tremendous football man. They... They may not be as strong as they have been the last few years, but they're still going to be up there. And what I mean by that is instead of a 16-2 and two mark, you might see 13-5 and five or 12-6. and six. Yeah, which is not uh, a terrible record Absolutely. in the CFL anyway yeah. as it yeah. is. Well, that's uh, as much as we're going to put on the CFL. Again, from week to week, we're going to do uh, kind of a, you know, scores as they go and discuss – the games. I know for me, I get pretty excited because TSN uh, covers all the games, so it's pretty easy to follow and understand what's happening. So the neutral zone will be right on top of the CFL as we dive through the season. Just one quick question. Is it three bye weeks for each team? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely it's different. Three from, teams have the bye this week. Yeah, that's, that's definitely different. Uh, in the CFL versus obviously Well, the schedule the started a lot earlier, too. Like yeah. I think the first game was like June the 13th. Now, ultimately, what they want to do, it's it's kind of a gradual moving up of the schedule, if you will. Uh, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, he said publicly that he'd like to see the Grey Cup in the first weekend of November. Really? Yeah. They, they, and yet the weather hasn't been that bad. Well, I shouldn't say that. You had that snow game in Ottawa a couple of years ago. That was pretty But crazy. I don't know. To me, those are fun games. Yeah. I, I love bad weather football. That's football. But, uh, I'm probably one of a uh, shrinking group uh, you know, who feels that way. Yeah. The CFL, I always love watching it. It's going to be great. It's off to a start, and there will be many more weeks to come. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, bullet points of things that have happened in the world of sports. I'm going to switch around the segments, keeping my co-hosts on their toes, and we'll come right back right after this on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Dave Recavina, Brett Wills, and Jeff Ryman. Well, this segment, there's been a few things that have happened in the pro sports world that are relevant, and so we're going to discuss them. The first one I want to discuss is um, Brooke Henderson uh, making a record of having the most... Canadian 
wins at being nine. What do you guys make of this? The fact that Brooke Anderson has the most wins as a Canadian in professional golf history is absolutely incredible. She She's now above guys like Mike Weir, who's won the Masters, um, Graham Dillette, who we haven't really seen much of in the last couple of years due to injury. It, it, it's absolutely incredible to see, and well-deserved, to see a, a woman on top of the golfing world inside this country. It's pretty incredible, especially from the standpoint that she's, what, 20, 21 years old 22, as well? I think. 22, yeah. so she's yeah. still up and coming, still has tons of life ahead of her. Um, and, yeah, Brett's right. I mean, if you ask anybody that's big into golf and you ask them who the biggest Canadian is, I wouldn't be surprised if they said Brooke Henderson. I mean, you're right, Brett. Like, there is there's a couple of guys on, on, the, on the men's side of the tour that you could probably pick out and name, but I think the big one... Um, in terms of Canadian names from both a male and female perspective is is Brooke Henderson. So uh, it's it's a pretty incredible feat. And you know what? I, I kind of feel like a proud papa here. Brooke Henderson is from Smith Falls, Ontario. My dad was born in Smith Falls, Ontario. So I kind of knew about Brooke Henderson before the rest of Canada knew about Brooke Henderson, only because we would get the local newspaper sent to our house uh, by my grandmother, and I, I would read about her collegiate career, and it, it's it's just really really cool to see someone who's worked incredibly hard be a, at the top of golf in Canada. Now I, I don't know a tremendous amount about her background, but did she go to the states like on a golf scholarship at the NCAA? She did, and I'm, I'm not sure where. But uh-huh. um, what does this do for? Not only golf in general, but women in golf in general. Like, this can't, like, this is a great sign, but do you think it does anything further for uh, women in golf? I hope it does. I really hope it does, and I think it will, because we've seen it with other sports. We've seen it with, I mean, basketball is the great example here in Canada with the Vince Carter effect, if you want to call it that, where. Vince Carter came into Toronto, uh, basically unknown in terms of basketball. And 20, 25 years later, look at how, I mean, we just had a record amount of Canadians drafted in the NBA with six going in the two rounds of that draft. And I think that you're going to see, I mean, you've seen the same thing with tennis as well. I mean, the up-and-comers with Felix Auger-Aliassime. Uh, we've seen it in the past with Jeannie Bouchard. Milos Raonic was really the trailblazer there. Um, and, and hopefully now that golf is sort of that, that one other sport that a lot of women can really get behind because uh, obviously it, there hasn't really been that Canadian woman that has stood out as much uh, as Brooke Henderson in, in the recent memories. So I, I think there could definitely be some effect, but I also think that uh, you know, coverage of women's events is not nearly as what it is for men's events. So if they can somehow improve that as well, I think that would go a long way. And I remind you, this is a Canadian record in pro golf. It's not just women. It's an overall Canadian women, a Canadian record in general. So it's not just women. It's all across the board. So that in itself is cool. Um, I, 
I'm not a big golf person. I gotta say, I my dad growing up, my dad used to put it on on you know Sunday. Oh, you gotta see Tiger Woods and his red Nike, you know his red Nike polo. But it's uh, that's it for me. And Brooke Anderson has kind of made me appreciate golf a little bit more, I think, and realize that you know golf is quite a quite a sport, and it takes a talent to do it. Um, so congratulations to her um, for setting that record, uh, uh, even as young as she did. That that to me is what is what's even more um, you know admirable in the sense of how young she was when she did it. I also want to bring up the fact that golf was basically a dying sport overall a couple of years ago, and it sort of got an extra bit of juice, an extra bit of energy once you started to see the younger golfers start to blossom on the tour. I mean, I think Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, uh, Justin Thomas, all those guys who are young, about to hit their prime, really uh, rejuvenated the sport of golf. And it really needed that because when Tiger Woods was MIA for the last 10 years up until this year, golf was on the decline. No one really wanted to watch it unless you were – uh, demographically an old, uh, older generation, you know, 50 plus basically. And now with the younger players starting to blossom on the tour, you really start to see that I think that audience is starting to climb again. And of course, with Tiger Woods back in contention, I think that only adds to it. So I hope this is the same sort of thing that goes on, uh, not only in men's, but in women's golf as well. You know, it's certainly interesting to observe, uh, you know, as, as a fan of the sport and, and as a sports fan in general. Uh, but I think, you know, golf, though, I don't think it will ever have the widespread appeal that, say, sports like hockey and basketball have, for example, you know, right now. And, you know, I think because of that, uh, you know, although Brooke Henderson is certainly, you know, her stamp on Canadian golf and, and and women's golf in particular, to me, still though it's it's unfortunate at the timing of it because it I think it got overshadowed to a large extent by the Raptors championship, and it's just you know as they say it's the that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. But you know all in all, it's not certainly not going to hurt things. Very positive thing for the sport, but. Again, and I like golf as well, don't get me wrong, but uh, I just think it will, it's, you know, it's a niche sport. It's, you know, often being referred to as a rich white man's game, and I I guess that's the uh, perception, I think, that it's had for a long time and probably will always have. I think it's really neat. Brooke Henderson always mentions the fact that she's from Smith Falls, Ontario, and she's super proud of being from her little hometown, and her best friend growing up was a kid by the name of Neil Doof. And if you remember Neil, he was a, a kid who was playing Tier 2 hockey in Smith Falls. He went out to a, uh, I, I would, it was like an all-star tournament out west, and he got hit from behind during the game. And he was a, a Princeton commit. And at the time, when he came back home, he, they were best friends. They, they were literally best friends growing up. This guy, Neil and Brooke. Neil and Brooke were best friends growing up. And when, when, when he, he came home, he, he, they, they held a golf tournament uh, to raise cheer, uh, money for his, for his uh, rehab and for 
the ability to to retrofit the home because at the time he was in pretty bad shape. And uh, Brooke came uh, back from where she was. I believe she was living in Florida at the time. And she helped spearhead that golf tournament. And that, that just shows what kind of a person Brooke Henderson is. She put a couple of things on the back burner in her professional career to help somebody in need that she knew, that she loved, that she respected. And again, to this day, they're best friends. They talk every week. Uh, you hear off and on that she talks very highly of him and vice versa. It's it's really, really neat. And Neil's doing pretty well for himself too. He's, he isn't necessarily able to play hockey and fill his commitment at Princeton, but they allowed him to come to Princeton and he's continuing his career or his uh, schooling. It's It's just... It, life comes full circle. It's, it's a pretty interesting story, and it's really, really cool. And you don't often see, like, you don't see stories like that. Sometimes when you become a professional athlete, you forget kind of where you came from. And so, I personally think it's a really cool story that she's still connected uh, back in her hometown and still connected with her best friend. And do you, do you think Kawhi has forgot where he's come from? No, and I'm not saying, but but it's not. It's not out in the world like that. It you don't see a lot of situations where, you know, people will say this is where I can. You know, they, they people just go on about their day and do their job, and that's it. But well, the fact that Kawhi is from Southern California isn't that believed to be the biggest reason why he would be leaning towards signing with either the Clippers or well, I doubt it, but even the Lakers. Yeah. Well, well Kawhi's also brought. The entire brood, north of the border, he's got uncle. Uh, he's got uncle so and so in his left hip pocket. Yeah, well, and that and that uh, that parade uh, that was, uh, you know, with Kawhi, that was oh, at, quite, the Jay, at the Jays game the other day. Uh, yeah, when he well, even the parade when they were, you know, if you saw the video where he, the crowd was chanting one more year, and then yes. Kyle puts up the, you know, five people want him to stay and. I, not to sabotage this whole conversation with Kawhi Leonard, but if he was leaving, I would have thought that he would have already gone back to do whatever. Oh, gone back to California instead yeah, of staying yeah. up here. Like the fact that he's still here, what are we now? Two. You're a week away from when he can start talking with the other team. Exactly. But he, he also suggested that he was going to stay here in Canada for the off season because he wanted to experience Carabana and I'm not sure when Carabana is. It's oh, the next it's, few I weeks. I think it's the long weekend in August, I believe. But yeah. uh still I like I, I would suspect if he signs somewhere else next week, he's still gonna be up here. I, I until I, until, I, until middle of August anyway. I think he I think he signs here. I I, I think he does too. I, I you know maybe not for the for five years, but I think he I think you'll see him back with the Rockets. I actually I actually think my prediction and no I'm not putting a dinner on this. I've done this before and won once and lost. My prediction is he's going to do a two year deal, plus an option for the third. Could that, be Could because be. that that's going to get him to the ten year, and then after that you can. You can his contract can boost up because he's a ten ten year guy, and so we'll see. He can call his own shot. Um, the other thing I want to talk briefly about is uh, Nick Nurse confirming to coach Canada at the upcoming uh, World Championship in China. Thoughts? Great, great for Nick Nurse. Great for the Raptors. Great for Canada basketball. My only reservation 
I mean, yeah, this guy's a professional coach. You know, that's that's his livelihood. But you just wonder if he's not putting a little too much on his plate and maybe hastens the burnout process. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, when I heard about this, it w- reminded me about, uh, do you remember t- who Tim Leeper was? The name rings a bell. He was either the first base coach or the third base coach. Third oh, base. yeah. Third, okay. For the right. Blue Jays. Yeah, yes, yes. And I found out after he, I, I found out who he was mm-hmm. with the Blue Jays, that he was the or was coaching with Team Canada Baseball as well. And the, Tim Leeper is from uh, California, ironically. Um, but uh, I, I just, I, I find it really, really cool that a guy from I- Iowa. Yes. Yep. Uh, decided that he wants to continue up here in Canada coaching f- with the Canadian team and uh, heart and soul guy. He puts his heart and soul into everything he's done for the Raptors. He'll do the same thing with uh, Canada basketball. It's just uh, good luck to him. And I, I think that because he now has the pedigree that he does with a world championship, that's going to show guys who were hesitant to play previously for Canada basketball that this that this organization means business and maybe we'll actually have a competitive roster going to the tournament. And there's, already, and there's already names on the list uh, that didn't come the last world championship. Andrew Wiggins Andrew being, Wiggins being front one. and foremost. You know, I was going to say maybe he'll get Andrew Wiggins up off his butt and, uh, you know, help him become uh, somewhere close to the player he can be. The other storyline that's come out of this, and I'm curious you guys' feel feelings on this, the fact that he's not a Canadian, but he's considered, quote-unquote, an honorary Canadian. Are you guys bothered by him, by not being a Canadian coach? Absolutely no. not. No. No. No, me either. And well, I don't even understand why I've heard that narrative. Well, I think Glenn, look at Glenn Grunwald, who runs Canada basketball now. I mean, he's a transplanted American, and he's, uh, well, he did, after the Raptors let him go, he did uh, surface with the Knicks for a number of years, but then he came back to Canada and was athletic director at McMaster University and, and held several other positions, and now he's at the helm of Canada basketball, so, you know, there you go. There's, there's, there's a big example right there. Yeah, There's been a narrative out there since the, the Raptors won the NBA championship, and it's not my narrative, so don't send me any hate mail over Twitter, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that this NBA championship isn't Canada's championship because of all the diversity across the board within the organization, whether it be Maasai or with Nick Nurse or the multitude of countries that are represented on the floor. And it really, it really ticked me off because I think that these guys were extremely proud to represent Toronto, to represent Canada, and it doesn't matter what nationality they are. And it really, it's it's really neat because we're a multicultural society inside of Canada, probably one of the most multicultural societies within the world. So I think that that narrative needs to go out the window, and it, it really, really bothered me this week. And that was my two-minute What's Bugging Brett this week. And, you know, they knew the history of this team and this franchise. They, 
the players knew that they also assisted Canada in winning. Jeff, do you want to chime in? You look like you have something you might want to say. Just uh, for the Nick Nurse thing, going back to him coaching at the for, for Canada during the summer, I think it's a great thing. And I don't think that there's going to be any sort of burnout. If, if anything, I think he'll gain a lot from this because – He's coached before. He's been a head coach in the G League. He's head coached, you know, other professional other professional teams. But when you get to the NBA, it's a different beast. And now with NBA caliber players on the Canadian national team, which wasn't the case five, ten years ago, uh, I, I think it's a great learning experience. And I think from year one to year two in terms of coaching, in terms of playing, whatever it may be, but there's a huge giant leap in terms of skill and ability that go from first year to second year. And I think that him coaching this Canadian basketball team is just going to skyrocket him even further in, in his, yeah. in his uh, development as a head coach. Uh, so, you know what, and, and from a Canadian perspective, I don't care if he's an American. I mean, he's going to do a great job regardless. And let's face it, you're, you're right. He is a, basically an honorary Canadian. I think, you know, most of Canada would back him as that. So uh, I, I think it's a great ad for Canada basketball. And I truly believe that the end goal is bringing something good to Canada, whether you're Canadian, American, whatever it is you are. And he does work for a Canadian basketball team, so that's where the whole honorary uh, Canadian comes in. But I wish him all the best, and I know for me I will be watching Canada basketball this summer because I want to see how he does, yeah. Real quick, do we think any of the guys that were just drafted on Friday night get consideration for the FIBA team? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. R.J. Barrett, for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. he'll be on the team. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> he's he's probably already on it now. Then the roster just hasn't been released. So, yeah, totally. And and that, in its, that name in itself will make a big difference um, for for the team. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the NHL free agency, maybe touch on the draft. We'll see what we get up to on the other side of the break here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by... Brett Wills, Dave Recavina, and Jeff Ryman. Well, uh, the offseason for the NHL has begun. Let, I'm going to give you kind of a notable signing, and then I'm going to open the floor, and you guys can just go nuts for the next five minutes. Uh, Eric Carlson signs an eight-year deal, $92 million with the San Jose Sharks. Some would have thought he would have gone back to Ottawa, although I never bought that from the word go. I think it was all just window dressing. But anyway, yes, that is the signing. Anything else you guys are looking forward to offseason? Well, uh, Carlson, first of all, it's a mild surprise that he was returning to San Jose because I think many people felt that he would not return to the Sharks, especially after he took out the full-page ad, I guess, in the Bay Area newspapers, uh, you know, thanking uh, the Bay Area hockey community, basically. Uh, But the fact that he did what surprises me more so than him re-upping with San Jose is the fact that he got eight years. Uh, not, Not even necessarily the 92 million, but... 
an eight-year contract for a guy who's started over the last couple of years has had some physical ailments. And that Sharks team is not getting any younger either. And, you know, I, I could have seen Carlson signing for five. I think I think many observers felt that that's what he would get. But I guess if somebody's willing to offer, uh, you know, $92 million over eight years, they're a heck of a lot worse places to play than San Jose. It's almost like San Jose continues to say, let's just take one more kick at the cat. Yeah. Yeah. And one more kick of the cat. Yeah. And they've been doing this for the last couple of years. And I guess at some point you're, you're going to see Joe Thornton retire, although <laughs> he's probably coming back again next year. But uh, who knows? Maybe Patrick Marlowe ends uh, up back out there as well. <laughs> so the, me- the median age in San Jose is probably going to be, what, 36? I, I mean, and that's just blowing smoke a little bit. But it just seems they they get they're old i mean i know they've got some some young uh some young guys that have been injected in the lineup but one of the things that was uh noted uh, yesterday on uh primetime sports from michael grange who's obviously a basketball guy he said and i think this is alluding to your point in basketball it's a 5 year deal in the NHL, I he said, I can't understand why anyone would want to sign someone for eight seasons. Like you're 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 putting so much stock into one person, so much money. Now I understand, you know, you can be traded, but still, that's a huge commitment. Eight years, no matter what your age is, let alone Carlson with the injuries that we uh, know of. You had an interesting note on uh, PK Subban, just as we came back yeah it's been reported that if uh if he does get traded um the uh predators are willing to eat three million dollars of his salary so his salary is uh i think it's around nine so that would then mean whoever picks him up would pick up on the hit for six. six might still be a little too rich for the Leafs' blood for any of you thinking of that possibility. Well, I mean, if they don't get this Marner thing sorted out, then that, maybe. That, that to me is the big story, even though he's a restricted free agent. But my own gut feeling on that story, I have a feeling he won't be back. Me too. I, I and, and I don't think it would be the end of the world for the Maple Leafs or, or Leaf Nation uh, sure, Marner, like uh, why I say that, it sounds like he's sticking to his guns that he wants Austin Matthews' money. And Dubas isn't, uh, he's not in a position, I don't think, that he can go along with that. So the, then the Leaf lineup becomes too top-heavy, plus the fact that that prospect pool now with the Marlies is not as deep as it was a couple of years ago. That's going to need to be restocked as well. So if someone does come along, and I'm not sure who would, maybe the Rangers do. I, I think he'd, he'd be tremendous uh, with the Rangers rebuild. But uh, let's just use them because they're known as the big spenders. Uh, if they offer him $10.5 million a year, then the Leafs would get the next four years draft picks and, and uh, first-round draft picks from the team signing Marner, which could go a long way towards replenishing their prospect pool. And it was reported late last night that Kapanen is uh, close to resigning. So we'll have to wait and see. Very interesting times. Next week will be after July 1st. So I suspect that uh, 
there will be lots to talk about. That is the end of our show for this week. I am your host, Brock Richardson. I was joined today by Brett Wills, Dave Recavina, and Jeff Ryman. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. See you next week.